You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. The truth about the Bible is that it is for us, but it's not about us. It's about God. It's about Jesus. But the Bible talks a lot about people because God made people and God knows people and God loves people. Even all people who are imperfect as we are. So one of the things that will help you and me to understand the Bible in general and Esther in particular is looking for the sins, the mistakes, the tragedies, those things that complicate the story and bring pain into people's lives because God put those in scripture for our instruction. So we're going to pick back up the story of Esther And we're going to pick it back up in chapter 2, verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time. So now this is all the women throughout the entire Persian Empire that have been brought in to the king's palace. These are all the competitors for the bachelor Persia. And Mordecai, we read, this is Esther's older cousin who adopted her when her parents died was sitting at the king's gate. Now, this is really interesting because the king's gate, the gates of cities, is where business and politics were were transacted, talked about. So it's an indication that maybe Mordecai has some kind of an official role within the government. He works somewhere in the king's government. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai told her to do so. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. So at this point, no one knows that she's Jewish, that she's part of God's people. Mordecai told her, don't tell anybody that we believe in the God of the Bible. So, you, you know, you don't, you don't check that box on your Facebook page. You don't tweet about it. Don't let anyone know that you believe in the God of the Bible. Now, let me say, it's okay sometimes to not lead with that. For example, let's say you're going for a job interview. And they say, well, well tell me about yourself. Well, I love Jesus. I love Jesus with all my heart. Every day I read a book about Jesus. I sing to Jesus out loud all the time. I pray to Jesus out loud all the time. Do you know Jesus? You need to know Jesus. I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Maybe that's why you're unemployed. You haven't yet earned the right. You don't lead that way. You may not, from the get-go, you know, wear the, the T-shirt, the chant the slogan. But if in your life you are concealing your relationship with God because you don't want to suffer publicly, you don't want to be mocked, you don't want to be opposed, you don't want people to dislike you, then maybe, just maybe, you don't worship Jesus Christ. You worship comfort. And I believe that Mordecai and Esther, their decision was one of comfort. If everyone knows what we believe, they won't like us. 
and they could hurt us. Therefore, let's conceal it. Some of you may have been taught that faith is a private thing, not a public thing. It's something you hold in your heart. You don't need to share it with others. But the God of the Bible, he wants you, if you belong to him, to be public with your faith. Faith is to be public, never just private. It is to be personal, but not private. We want others to know this God who loves us so much so that they can fall in love with him as well. And we are a means by which they hear about the God of the Bible. And if we can seal our relationship with him, then we are being unfaithful to him. But for so many, their income, their job, their politics, their family, their social status, their relationships and comfort and convenience override Jesus Christ. Story goes on. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway. Now, let me pause here for a moment. Other translations, when they talk about these two, they don't just say that they are officers. They're called eunuchs. Let me explain to you what a eunuch is. A eunuch, by definition is a man who used to be happy. (laughs) That's the technical definition of a eunuch. And so the way it would work is this. The king would have this huge harem with lots of women, but if he allowed men to work along those, in the presence of those women, many of whom he could care, couldn't care less about, he didn't know them. He didn't love them. But, but the whole point is they're in the harem. They're in the king's harem. They're, they're mine, he would think. And if any of these men then pursued these women, they would fall in love with him. And so here are two men who are eunuchs who are supposed to be the guards. So think of King Xerxes like our president and these two like the secret service detail. Now, what we are about to learn is that these two guys plot to kill the king. Well, of course they do. (laughs) He made them eunuchs. So they became angry. And they conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Do you see how this works? Those who were closest to the king were the most likely to betray the king. Sound familiar? Think of Judas with Jesus. So, teachable moment here. Number one, for those of you who are leaders, be careful whom you entrust, confide in, allow to get close to you. And number two, if you are someone that is close to somebody in a position of leadership, then always guard your heart and your motivations so that what you are about is not for your own self-interests. But whether it's a, a, a company, a, 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 an office, uh, a ministry, that what you're about are God's interests. Well, the situation now is that the king's life is in danger. There is an assassination plot. Here is the most powerful man on earth, and there is a plot for his execution and murder. 
next verse starts off, but Mordecai found out about the plot. So Mordecai finds out. Somehow he overhears. Now he has a decision to make. Is he going to do a good thing for a bad man? Xerxes is a bad man. Will he say something and spare his life, or will he remain silent and let the murder proceed? Well, here's what he does. Mordecai finds out about the plot. He tells Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Next verse. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles, which is a precursor to crucifixion. And this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. The reason scripture includes this is that it makes clear Xerxes knew exactly who was betraying him, who sought his life, and exactly who it was that spared his life. They bring the entire report to King Xerxes. Here's the plot. It was uncovered, and Mordecai was the one who saved your life. The question is, what happens to Mordecai? How many of you feel at this point Mordecai should get something? Uh, a prize, an award, a position in the king's court, a year's supply of Oreos, something, right? <laughs> they are going to kill the king, and now they don't. And he has them crucified. It seems like something should be done for Mordecai. What does Xerxes do for him? Nothing. As chapter 2 ends and chapter 3 unfolds, here's how chapter 3 begins. After these events, we think, okay, what time frame are we talking about? How much longer after these events? Herodotus, the Greek historian who's writing the life of Xerxes in the Persian Empire, says as much as five years have gone by. That's after these events. Five years have gone by. And somebody might think, well, he didn't have time to go to the store. Five years, he could have gotten him something. But remember, this is Xerxes, the guy that we've read about over and over, who's only consumed about himself. He doesn't care about others. But after these events, King Xerxes honored, all right, somebody's about to get honored, somebody's about to get promoted. How many of you think maybe, perhaps, Mordecai should be considered? Nope. <laughs> How many of you had that kind of boss? Like, I could save their life and end up getting demoted. After these events, Xerxes, the king, honored who? Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. You know this guy is going to be a bad guy. I mean, his name sounds like a mouthful of gravel. Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Now, when the Jewish people heard this, they would have immediately thought, the Agagites, they're our enemies. You see, in the Old Testament, when God had newly formed the nation of Israel, one of the first people groups to attack them were the Agagites. So all of a sudden, 
you get Mordecai saving King Xerxes' life, and his boss now is Haman the Agagite. There's tension in this story. Not only that, but Haman gets honored with a honored seat, a mini throne, if you will. You know, if you're poor, you get the floor. You're doing okay if you get a chair. But if you get a throne, I'd say you're doing pretty well. He gets a throne. It's a little throne. He's like a little king, a little god. And he sits on this throne and he rules over that throne and he rules from that throne. And now Mordecai, this government official and citizen of Persia, he's under Haman the Agagite, the enemy of God's people who've been trying to destroy God's people for generations. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Okay, here's the problem. Haman sits on the throne and says, everybody, you must bow down to me. Mordecai is present. He doesn't bow down. Awkward moment, right? A whole bunch of people bowing, and Mordecai is just kind of giving Haman the stink eyes, saying, I'm not bowing. In fact, he's up on his tiptoes, saying, I'm anti-bowing, I'm not bowing. (laughs) Mordecai would not bow down and pay homage. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Uh Uh-oh, now it's escalated. You're not just disobeying Haman, but King Xerxes. You know, the guy who thinks that the son speaks through him. He called himself the king of kings and lord of lords. Sound familiar? That guy, Xerxes, he's the one who said everyone must bow down to Haman. Mordecai, when you don't bow down to Haman, you're disobeying Xerxes, the lord. Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Oh, now all of a sudden, he brings out the religious beliefs card. How come you won't bow down? I'm Jewish. Maybe I didn't tell you. Oh, I forgot to tell you guys for like, what, the last 40 years. Oops, I'm Jewish. All of a sudden, your friends want you to do something criminal. And you're like, can't, I'm a Christian. (laughs) What? Since when? (laughs) What kind of a Christian are you? The hypocritical kind. We're a huge denomination. Up to this point... Mordecai is living in Persia. He's not supposed to. He doesn't tell anyone that he loves the God of the Bible. He has no evidence that he prays, reads the scriptures, tithes, goes to worship, offers sacrifice, sings songs. He raised his adopted daughter but doesn't defend her honor. He's eating the king's food meaning he's not living out the dietary laws from the Old Testament. He is a total compromised hypocrite. And as soon as he hears, well, you're going to get in trouble. I'm Jewish. 
Don't I get a get-out-of-jail-free card? <laughs> I've got religious convictions. Well, let's see. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy what? Who? All Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole region of Xerxes. I won't bow down. Then I will kill you and everyone who is like you. Sure seems like it backfired on Mordecai. He was thinking that pulling out the religious card would save his life. Instead, it's going to cost everyone else their life. Oh, you're a Jew? Then I hate Jews. This is a plot for genocide. He's going to destroy an entire community of people just because they are God's covenant people. And to this day, at the Feast of Purim, which we'll hear about as Esther continues to unfold in the weeks ahead, at that feast today, a Jewish holiday, they will read the story of Esther. And whenever Haman's name is mentioned, the people will jeer and hiss. This is a man who is despised by the Jewish people. I told you last week, he was like the Hitler of his day. That's not an overstatement. Now, in reading this again, we can't read it religiously. You know, like, man, Haman is a terrible person. Thank you, God. I'm not like Haman. I'm a much better than him. Because let me ask you this difficult question. Who would you wipe out if you could? Don't say a name, especially if they came to church with you. But if I came up to you and said, the Lord told me that you get to take out one person. You get a pass that reads, from the Lord, one free whacking. <laughs> Some of you might say, I've got that person in mind. They deserve it. Jesus says in Matthew 5, that murder and hatred are on the same road. One's just a little bit further along than the other. But when we hate someone, we commit murder in our heart against them. Again, Haman is in a position that he could possibly punish you, even kill you. When we hate others, seek to get revenge on them. When we want harm to come to them, we are in a position that's no better than Haman. Friends, I love you. I mean, you're a pastor, and I want to be very careful that when we read Scripture and we come across a, a bad person in Scripture, we must realize that's either us or apart from the grace of God, it could be. The story continues. In the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, so this is uh, historical it shows that God works in history. He works in people's lives. He works in nations. It's not just therapy, you know, like how to live uh, a better life. It's not just 
philosophy, speculation about life and God. This is theology. This is God revealing himself in history to peoples and times and places. So in the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the poor, that is the lot, I guess the closest thing in our understanding would be like dice, that you cast, you're casting lots. It was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day in a month that all this was going to happen. And the lot fell on the 12th month, the day of Adar. So I want you to get in your mind, this is happening on the first month. The lot is cast. When is the annihilation going to come? In the 12th month. It's 11 months. Word's got to get out. (laughs) In other words, all the people going to know. Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain group of people dispersed. You know, King, it's, it's a great problem. They're, they're everywhere. Great people among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, it's the next part of that verse, who keep themselves separate, keeps going. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. They have this thing called scripture, and they're a lot like Vashti. They they say no sometimes. It is not the king's best interest to tolerate them. King, this isn't good for you. I'm just looking out for you. Haman continues. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger, gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Next verse, keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. question, how do you tell a story that benefits you most? We all do it, right? It starts when we're little. You do or say something mean, ugly, hateful to your sibling, and they start screaming. What do you do? You're the first one to run to mom and dad. Let me tell you my version of the story. Proverbs 18:17 had this one down. Everyone seems right until the other side is heard. Here's what Haman does. He runs to Xerxes. Let me explain, O king, what's taking place. There are these group of people called Jews. They have a book called Scripture. They obey the laws in that book saying that they are from God. They think God is bigger and better than you. This is a real problem. I'm here to fix it. Let me destroy them. And we'll split the proceeds 50-50. And the king, Xerxes, doesn't do his homework. He doesn't see both sides of the story. He doesn't investigate the facts. He says, that's a great plan. Here's your power of attorney. You have control over life and death. Xerxes doesn't know these people. He doesn't love these people. He only gets reports about these people. And here's the truth. We get into real trouble when all we see are numbers and not faces. 
For those of you who are leaders in business or leaders in politics or leaders in ministry, God knows numbers, but he mostly sees faces. He loves people, not just crowds. People with faces and names and stories. Xerxes doesn't care about these people. All he cares about are numbers. And he's willing to reduce the number of people if it means more dollars for him. So what's going to happen now? This is shaping up to be quite a minute series, right? Here's the final episode for today. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces, and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and and sealed with his own ring. Now remember, Xerxes rules like a god, and whatever he says is like inerrant scripture. And the decree goes out. Kill all of God's people. How many of you are expecting God to intervene at this point? A miracle, an angel, a a prophet. God doesn't speak, God doesn't act. And it keeps going. Verse 13. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all of the Jews, young and old, Women and children, everyone's going to die. This is evil unrestrained. On a single day, all of the Jewish people on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods on one day. Xerxes has the largest army in the history of the world to this point. Herodotus, the Greek historian, says that it may number in the hundreds of thousands, maybe even a few millions. And the decree comes to the commanders. Grab your weapons. Go find babies and little girls and boys and grandmothers and grandfathers and pregnant women and slaughter them all. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. It was announced in advance. Remember, 11 months in advance. Can you imagine the horror and the terror as that day approached? The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink. Here's the, those two. The city of Susa was bewildered. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's not supposed to be this way. God doesn't show up. He doesn't send a prophet. No one speaks from heaven. No miracle from God. There's no burning bush. There's no evidence that God in any way says or does or acts in any way. How do you interpret all this? What do you do with this? What do you do with the fact that God doesn't show up? Well, it would cause some to say, see, there is no God. He doesn't show up. He doesn't act. He doesn't speak. If there was a God, don't you think he would say or do something at this moment? 
A step up from that might be those who say, I believe there is a God, but he is so distant. He's not interested in the affairs of people on this earth. So you're on your own. Good luck. But what have we been saying since week one of this series? This is all leaning toward Jesus. You see, God does show up. The whole Bible is one story with one hero, and here's the truth. Jesus is the king seated on a throne, and he does something that Xerxes would never do. He gets off his throne, and he comes into human history, and he humbles himself, not just to see numbers but faces because he loves, and he serves, and he knows us. And God becomes a man, and this man truly was the king of kings. And unlike Xerxes, he doesn't have us crucified. He allows us to crucify him. And our loving, humble, gracious servant king, it's as if he looks people in the eye from the cross. Those who have pronounced sentence against him, who have set up a particular day to bring about Jesus' demise. And he says, Father, forgive them. Jesus forgives all the sins. He works out all the mistakes. And Jesus takes the worst tragedy and makes it into the most glorious event. And this whole book is about him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us as a people. We are a people who are prone to be like any of the characters in this story that we've seen. We are prone to be like Xerxes, consumed with ourselves. We are prone to be like Haman, consumed with what others think about us even prone to be like Mordecai and Esther on occasions with a hidden, compromised faith. Lord Jesus, thank you that you used your death for our life. In your name we pray. Amen. God has brought all the resources for us to live life on a daily basis. And above all the physical things, it's something that we have no other place to look to, and that's to find forgiveness, to find wholeness and healing and restoration and true life and true joy. And that's in Jesus getting off the throne and coming down and showing us what he is willing to do for us because he loves you. So if anybody at any point thinks, man, I, I just don't feel like I have anything in my life. You've got a Lord, a king, a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior 
who is pursuing you, never giving up, wanting you to turn around and say, Lord Jesus, will you come into my life? And if you do that, you are a forever child of God. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.